lecture um, with the topic being wide complex tachycardia. Very important topic, and we do see this quite commonly, you know, whether you're on the floors or in the ICUs. Um, we know we just had a rapid response a couple of days ago that was a wide complex tachycardia that was managed by our MOD team. So uh, very frequent encounter, very important information that you're going to get here. Um, so I can add a little bit more about that case um, towards the end of the lecture. So Brenda, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Great, thank you very much, Brian. So again, welcome everyone to Summer Survival. I was the first one to kick this off. Um, I personally, as an intern, I did find Summer Survival very, very helpful. Um, we spoke about mainly high yield topics, which you will see a lot of throughout the year, actually throughout your entire three years. But the more you see it and the more you practice it, the more proficient you're going to be by the end of your uh, residency. So um, feel free to stop me if you have any questions. Um, I'll try to make it as interactive as possible and not to bore you. Um, and if um, if you have any examples or anything that you want to share, please feel free to stop me and uh, we'll do that. Um, so our goal today, uh, wait, I'm trying to move on to the next slide. Okay, there you go. All right. So our goals today are to understand what a wide QRS complex looks like and what it really means. Most of us know what a QRS is, but what the definition of a wide QRS uh, is to discuss the differential diagnosis when you have a patient who have wide complex tachycardia. And more importantly, towards the end, we'll learn how to manage stable and unstable wide complex tachycardias. Um, so typically, when we look at, uh, before we even get to white complex, you know, the, the broad um, kind of diagnosis is tachycardia. And that is one of the things that you're going to see a lot of. You're going to be called as an intern and you're, you're going to be told, oh, you're, um, um, you have a patient who has a heart rate in the 150s, right? Like that's tachycardia. So your goal is going to be to differentiate between wide complex and narrow complex. That's always a very good place to start uh, because based on whether it's narrow complex or wide complex, um, you will have different differential diagnosis. So our goal today um, is not to go down this pathway, but to go down this pathway of wide complex tachycardia. Um, and once you have kind of, uh, when you're working your way down, so you have tachycardia at the top, is it narrow or is it wide? And if it is wide, is it regular or irregular? Again, that will kind of give you a guideline and a framework so that if you follow this through every time, you're able to kind of get to like as close as you can get to the most accurate diagnosis. Sometimes it's hard to tell apart things, but some things look really similar. But this kind of stepwise framework will kind of help you and get, guide you accordingly. So if it is regular, then there's certain um, differentials that you're going to have to start thinking about. One of those is a monomorphic ventricular tachycardia. And we're going to go through what some of those look like. Uh, some of these like differential um, diagnosis look like on EKG. Um, and then another one, which we don't commonly see, or maybe I should say, we don't, we're not very comfortable 
um, kind of getting to this diagnosis because we don't, you know, know and see it very much, but it's a supraventricular tachycardia with aberrant conduction. Um, and we'll kind of briefly touch on how to differentiate that one from a, a true, like a wide uh, ventricular tachycardia. And then you also have like pre-excitation. Pre um, and then you can have uh, some medications that can kind of cause uh, you, you to have ventricular, um, like wide complex tachycardia. And we'll also, I, I mean, briefly talk about one common diagnosis, which you probably already know about, which um, is actually you more like you 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 kind of see it more on the irregular side, which is like Trissard pond, and that's kind of a, it's um it's a form of polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, and that is more irregular actually as opposed to regular. Uh, so you will have both medications that can cause they're more likely to cause Trissard pond, and some medications will, which will cause like a regular a more regular ventricular tachycardia. And then finally, ventricular fibrillation. So those are the main diagnoses that you have to think about when you uh, uh, when you think about wide complex tachycardia. Now, when you think about ventricular tachycardia, you always have so so one of the things you will learn as you go through the year is that there is certain clues that kind of help you, especially when you're not sure when you look at an EKG, for example, and you're like, okay, um, you're kind of unsure whether it's it's really wide or it's it's narrow, wide they so they sub like a specific population of patients who whenever you hear the demographic if even if in doubt you must make sure that you think about ventricular tachycardia in these patients and it is the typical you know uh patients who have um a lot of structural structural abnormalities in their heart so people with heart failure um sorry can you please mute yourself uh, i think somebody's talking um, uh, people that have had yeah, history, histories of like uh, people who have had heart attacks in the past, people with history of cardiomyopathy, myocarditis, and then people with um, sodium or potassium tenopathies and people who are taking QT prolonging medication. So whenever you hear the background history and you have an abnormal looking EKG, even if when you're not sure, if it kind of looks wide, you must think about this, especially if it's in, in a kind of a life-threatening situation. So these are the people that especially you would be worried about um, for them having uh, ventricular tachycardia. Now, this will be, a, and, and it's it's something that kind of carries through from medical school, where it's like you have this, um, the big question is like, how do you actually look through an EKG systematically every time so that you don't, um, you're, you get better at actually looking at EKG and become faster. And the best way to do it is to be always systematic when you do it all the time and repeating um and practice always makes perfect, right? That the more you repeat it, the better you're going to become, and the 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 easier it is going to be for you to to identify um, abnormal looking EKGs. So always, when you read an EKG, you want to think about rate, rhythm, and axis. Those are the first three things that you want to think about, and then you go to the intervals, uh, and then 
for this particular case, we're going to focus on either QRS duration and morphology. But before, so before this, like in, on any other EKG, it's like rate, rhythm, axis. You go through the intervals and then you start, you go through to see if there's any ST, any T wave changes and things like that. Uh, but for the purposes of this presentation, it, well, even if somebody has ventricular tachycardia, you want to make sure that you focus on like the QRS duration, morphology, and also the pre-40 leads are going to be very important, especially in this uh, in this situation. And then another thing in any situation, so this goes beyond even when you have uh, a patient with white complex tachycardia, whenever you have an abnormal looking EKG, it's always very important to compare to their baseline EKG because that gives you a clue as to what underlying abnormalities that they have. If they already have like an underlying base um, uh, bundle branch block, if they've had a heart attack um, or like a in, in the past and you don't have the history and so that already rings a bell but if this person has had like an old infarct then they are at risk of getting ventricular tachycardia especially if you don't know anything about them if they have a bearing conduction at baseline so those things so having a baseline EKG is always very important in every situation whenever you're looking at any abnormal EKG regardless of what the um, diagnosis is at the end and so this is probably the most important slide for um, like for this presentation uh, because it gives you kind of like the, the the things that you're supposed to look for when you're worried about ventricular tachycardia. So the typical features of ventricular tachycardia include atrioventricular dissociation, which means that the, the atrium and the ventricle are kind of contracting at different uh, paces and there is no... Um, there's no proceeding P wave for every QRS. So that is kind of one of the hallmarks. And then you also have these things called capture and fusion beats, which we will actually talk about in, in the next few slides. If you just have that and you have a wide QRS and uh, AV dissociation with capture and fusion beats, that can actually be diagnostic. But then again, this is not, it's not always clear cut. So that's why there's like a lot of things that you have to look for in the EKG to be able to, um, to kind of get to that diagnosis. And then the morphology itself of the QRS in V1 is the key. So that's where you want to look. So your precordial leads, again, like I said, are going to be the most important when you're looking at um, when you're trying to diagnose white, uh, white complex tachycardia. And um, if you have, if the complex is positive in one, it is called a right bundle branch block like, and if it is negative, it'll be a left bundle branch block like because typically when you have a right bundle branch block, remember you have that RSR prime, which is kind of like an upward going QRS in V1, and if it's a left bundle, it'll be the opposite. So that kind of uh, goes without say. And then if the QRS duration is more than 140, if there's extreme axis deviation, that also is another clue. And then if you have concordance, and basically what concordance means is that the QRSs and the precordial leads are all in the same direction. It's either they're positively deflected or they're negatively deflected. Again, that will also be another key. So if you have as many of these, and we'll go through, through the criteria, but if, if you just look for these, even forget about, without even looking at the criteria, if you have anything like this, you, you can almost kind of, 
manage the patient is if they have white complex tachycardia. Now, here we have two EKGs. So the top one is like a normal rhythm strip where you have like a, uh, you know, you have like a narrow QRS. Well, you actually have a little uh, notching here, but sometimes that's actually a normal variant. You have a regular PR interval and you have a P wave that's a little bit basic. But anyway, this is a, a close to a normal uh, rhythm strip. And then if you look at the bottom, so now, you have um, what this EKG at the bottom is trying to um, illustrate is atrioventricular dissociation. So you can see if you can't really march out, um, like there's no relationship between like the QRS and uh, the P wave. So you see this isolated P wave, there's no QRS after it, and then you see some, and one of the other things, which is it's not always easy and clear to kind of see some of these P waves that are buried um, inside, almost like a, they're supposed to be a T wave, it's just before a T wave that is inverted, and then you see this little notch here. So that's actually one of those you know, tips of trying to see if there's any buried P waves that you can't really see. It's like a, the T wave just looks funny, so it's a little off. So you can clearly see that there's no relationship between the 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 way that the P waves are going and the way the QRS uh, QRSs are going. Now. Um, so that's AV dissociation. And now what I was talking about, like the fusion beats. So basically the fusion beats is you have like a, a contraction that's coming from the top, which is the atrium, the contraction that's coming from the bottom, and then they kind of meet in the middle and then they produce like a hybrid, um, hybrid wave, which is not quite like a QR, it's not quite like a P wave. And this is what you see uh, over here. And then a capture bead is when you can actually see um, it's like a normal QRS in the middle of like a normal looking QRS, right? Like you can actually see like these ones are all wide, right? And then all of a sudden you see, sorry, you see like a normal looking QRS, that's a capture bead. So if you have AV dissociation, fusion beads and capture bead in an EKG of a patient with a wide QRS, you can almost be, I mean, you, it makes it more likely that it's actually a wide complex tachycardia. Now, what I was talking about when I meant uh, ventricular tachycardia with, with, with concordance is, again, you look at the precordial leads, right? So if you look at the precordial leads and the QRS, in simpler terms, if you have a QRS is in the same direction, that is concordance. And again, that provides another big clue that this is like a, a ventricular tachycardia. So if you look, you can actually see that they're all in the same direction, right? They keep all upward going. So again, this is a big clue. So what do we have so far? So in summary, if you have a patient with a wide QRS, they have AV dissociation, um, you can see fusion beads, you can see capture beads, you see ventricular concordance, then it is highly likely that you know, they have a wide complex tachycardia. So those are the biggest things that you have to think about when you're thinking about a wide complex tachycardia and the morphology of the QRS again you look at it in B1 if it's wide in B1 it's positively affected it's, it's the right bundle branch block type like and if it's negatively affected it's the left bundle branch block type okay and so there's this fancy criteria that we can also use to um, kind of kind of nail the diagnosis 
um, you know, because again, like I said, it's 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 not an easy diagnosis to come come to get to, uh, because there is no one there's no one thing that you look for and say, okay, this is the one thing that's gonna tell me that this is a white complex tachycardia. So we have this thing called the Bugatti type criteria, um, that and it basically it emphasizes the things that I've just been talking about. So. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to help you remember. Um, so as you go through down like the algorithm for the, the Bugatti criteria, it, it, it's um, so the first thing that you look at is if there is no RS complexes and over the precordial lead. If the answer is yes, then that's already ventricular tachycardia. So this is one thing that I hadn't spoken about. Um, so if you just have that and you have like white QRS, then you know that's ventricular tachycardia. But then let's say you do see RS complexes in the precordial lead. Uh, you do not see them, sorry. Um, then you have to look at the RTS interval, which if it is more than 100 milliseconds and one precordial lead, then that is also diagnostic of ventricular tachycardia. But if not, then you look for AV dissociation. If there is AV dissociation, um, then you have ventricular tachycardia. So technically, if you just see AV dissociation by itself, that's already diagnostic. You don't even have to look no further. Don't look at anything else. You already have your diagnosis. And then you have the, if, if not, if you don't have AV dissociation, then you have to go down you know, the, the algorithm again. But in short, then this is kind of, I mean, it's it's nice to have kind of like an algorithm when you have time, right? Because if you have a patient with white complex tachycardia, you have to be kind of, sometimes you have time and sometimes you don't have time. But if you just remember the things that I told you at the beginning, the AV dissociation, the extreme access deviation, if you remember those things, even without having to go through this algorithm, you can still get to the diagnosis pre pretty effectively. And for the most part, that is actually what we do. We don't always have to go to the train algorithm and like, what does it look like? Unless you have time and for the purposes of learning, that's why we go through this, right? Um, and then let me see how much time I have. Okay, so if we get time at the end, I'll also come to this and we'll, we'll um, we can go briefly go through this algorithm. But basically this will differentiate between um, like a white complex tachycardia uh, and in the setting of, um, from uh, just like a, a monomorphic ventricular tachycardia, for example, as opposed to like a ventricular with pre-excitation. Again, it's another algorithm that you can kind of go through and then it will help you to get to the right diagnosis. But regardless, you'll find that the management of some of these things will be the same. Some of them it will not, and we'll get to that towards the end. And so there are some examples, and because I've been blabbing a lot, I'm going to stop here for a second and see if, if anybody has any questions or you guys are okay for now, we can continue. Okay, I'll take them to think that we're okay for now. Again, feel free to stop me if you, if you need to. Um, so does anyone want to take a guess at what this might be and one of and before we answer this and one of the things that um the, the, the like one of the tips that i can actually share with you is 
try as much as you can whenever you see a patient, especially when you're doing admissions, right? To look at, challenge yourself to look at EKGs as much as you can. The more you look at them, the more you're going to be able to, to determine patterns. That is probably the most important thing. And the better you are at that, it, it becomes easier. To, like EKGs will become like second nature for you. So here, there's a very typical pattern that we see a lot. I'm not at least we don't see it a lot, but we've been taught about it a lot. Um, what do you guys think it is? Uh, Torsades? Sorry. Oh, someone typed it. Yeah. yeah, no, you got it. You got it. Very good. And why do you say it's Torsades? Again, for this one, it's kind of like a pattern recognition, really. And also just like a typical morphology and the panel, again, like I said, but you don't have like all the leads and the precordial leads to be able to see all of those things. Uh, but why do you think it's just our department? I know, I know, you know, but why, why would you say it is? Uh, I, I, I just noticed the pattern of like, you know, uh, the sinusoidal pattern in a way. Or you can call it that, or you can say polymorphic, right? You, oh, this or that. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? I think, yeah, the polymorphic is definitely a better way of saying it than what I said. Wow. That was also correct. It's close enough. Um, but yeah, so see so you, so the, the, the QRSs are not all the same. They don't look the same, but you, they're kind of a little bit different looking. And then they also have this kind of like a crescendo and decrescendo, if, if, if you know what I mean, then these like, it, it keeps doing the same thing. So this is a very typical persona pond. Now, which kind of demographic do we think, you know, would we worry about persona pond? Like if you hear, what would you, what would you say, you, like uh, a patient who has what? What history? <clears throat> Sorry, someone typed in something. Long QT, yes, right? That's one of the really big ones. So somebody who, if you have a baseline EKG of somebody who has long QT, and what, what, what patients, so we have a specific group of patients who are on specific medications that prolong your QT, like what, which patients are those? or what diagnosis? Yes, that's very good. Psychiatric, you know, people with uh, depression or people who are like on TC and things like that, those are people that you must think about when you see this, right? And what would, oh, well, oh yes, Cipro, correct, yes. So medications, medications, medications. And again, this goes not only for white conflict, for tachycardias, right? For everything, you'll find if there's something happening with the patient, something wrong with the patient, always important to go through the medications, right? Because medications cause a lot of side effects. And unfortunately, you know, for some of these medications, especially like the antidepressants and, and things like that, they can cause a sign of And then how about the CKG? What do we think? Excuse me. Monomorphic VTAC? Monomorphic VTAC, correct. So actually, with this one, I think we can try to go through it systematically, right, to, from the beginning. Like, so what do we think 
let's say the Raiders. About 150. Yeah, a little, a little more than 150, but yeah, something like that. One, 160 maybe, but yeah, so just more, a little more than 150. Okay. And what is the rhythm? Is this regular or irregular? Regular. Correct. Right. And then the axis. So we don't really see lead one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we do. Um, how about the axis? What would we say? It's kind of a tricky one. Right. What is it? The extreme axis deviation, so. It, it does have, it is an extreme axis deviation. So you have the one going down and if you could look at two, lead two or ABF, regardless, it's an extreme axis deviation, correct? So, some of them are ones. Okay. Some of them are what? Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't think we can hear you. Okay. And then now we can look at um the QRS morphology or the QRS duration. Is it narrow or is it wide? What do you guys think? Wide, right? Like we agree it's wide from here to here. That's clearly more than 120. So this it's wide. And which is this is this the right bundle branch? block like type of white complex or is this the left bundle branch block like correct right that is a right so the, if we look at v lead uh, it, uh if we look at v1 right we can actually see that the qrs complex is upward going so that is right bundle branch block like now it's kind of and and i'm also challenging myself here do we see any a b dissociation fusion beads or capture beads so it's really hard to say but i'm not sure if i'm seeing any AV dissociation, and I do not. I mean, you you certainly don't see any um, capture beads or fusion beads. Everything kind of looks monomorph. Everything looks exactly the same. So if you have everything that looks exactly the same, you definitely don't have a capture bead, right? Because a capture bead is an an abnormal looking QRS in the middle of a normal looking QRS. So you certainly don't have capture beads, and fusion beads are kind of like a a hybrid between a normal looking QRS and like maybe like a P wave and just looks like something that is not like everything else. So probably not that either. Um, but yes, yeah, so we have a, so in summary, so we have a monomorphic wide complex tachycardia of the right bundle branch block like type. Okay, and then 
oh sorry i gave it away okay so i'll just get to this one so this one again so this is um a, a form of a uh, and, and I, I, I it's I, it was among the differentials when i was talking about like a regular tachycardia uh which is a wide complex um, and here we could, you could almost argue with me and say, Brenda, it's really hard to tell whether this is like a wide complex tachycardia or a narrow complex tachycardia. It almost looks narrow, right? So if I go through the the um, the the uh, EKG regularly, so we, I mean, not regularly. What am I saying? Uh, if I go through it systematically, right? So I have an an EKG that is so so the rate is about oh i can't tell the rate because i don't have the lines but let's just say it's like a little bit it's like a 160. the rate is 160. you have a normal axis it's a regular rhythm if you look at the qrs's now they i couldn't and they almost look wide but they're not really wide i don't i wouldn't you know they, they certainly look different from the ekg that we saw before like that monomorphic VTAC, right but what makes this EKG kind of challenging to tell what exactly it is uh, is because it's it's a fast rhythm that's narrow, but it also has a it, it has like a left bundle branch block criteria. So this is something, and and as with a lot of other things, if you're if um if that tickles your fancy like it does for me like looking at like different criteria for, like ekgs like what's a right bundle branch what's a left bundle branch block and what what are the criteria for lvh and rvh and things like that but um without going into the details of this whenever you see like a left bundle branch block in an ekg that has like an s like it's, it's an svt like it's actually a, a narrow complex tachycardia but it has like a left bundle branch block then you have to worry about svt with the variancy that is a form of a white complex tachycardia not necessarily like a narrow complex tachycardia so it's kind of like a hybrid of in between but it's kind of, it's a tricky one and a lot of people miss it uh, but I just wanted to kind of contrast this to the monomorphic tachycardia so that if you do see it and you notice that there's a left bundle branch block or a left bundle branch block criteria, not everything about this has the, the, the left bundle branch block criteria that we typically know. Like one of the very typical left bundle branch block criteria we see is like a wide QRS. Um, you look at like the R waves um, and the S wave, like deep S waves and the one and like the lateral leads and things like that. So if you get to the criteria, different, get to be actually looking at the criteria, you will find that this EKG has some of those criteria, and that is what you actually call this SVT with the variancy. Okay, and then one last one, one last one. What do you guys think this one is? Anyone? Okay, this is Tosside Plant again. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes, that is Tosside. Okay, and then this one has something, so has just, it has, there's something that sticks out at you that makes it very different. Yes, very good, right? So it is, you can see pacer spikes, right? So usually patients with pacemakers already have a bundle branch 
love, right? But this is actually a pacemaker-induced tachycardia, and you can, the, the key is that you see the pacer spikes. So yeah, very good. All right, and I will just give you a brief summary of this question so you don't have to read through it. So this was basically a patient who came in uh, was admitted for pneumonia. They were on like venlafaxine, Coreg, and Simvastatin. Um, and then they were given some mitigations for the pneumonia. And then about two days after they developed, they went into an abnormal rhythm. And this is the strip. Uh, what, again, what is this? What, 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 what's the EKG strip here? Thoughts? Yeah, again, yeah, so that's just how to bond. And which of those medications would have caused that between the ones that I've listed? Yes, correct. All right, and all those other medications wouldn't do that. Although Venlafaxine, potentially, but not usually. So moxifloxacin would be the one. Okay, so now the good stuff. So this is the, the probably the most the, the interest when you get a patient, right? They, if a rapid is cold, especially here, right? Um, you're told that there's a patient. Well, because or or sometimes if you have the luxury of the nurse telling you that the patient is in an abnormal rhythm, um, the first thing that you want to know is you want to know what the vital signs are, right? That's going to be the most important thing to know whether they're stable or unstable because it's going to determine exactly how you're going to manage these patients. So regardless whether they have a tachycardia or as long as there's some, you know, a rapid is cold, you want to make sure that they, um, and they have some cardiac issue going on. You want to make sure that they have IV access. You get a basic labs, you, uh, you put them on a monitor, and then you get a 12-lead EKG so that you actually have a good picture or a good idea of what, they, what exactly is happening. So if um, you look at the EKG, so now you have the EKG, you have successfully gotten to the point where you know that it's a wide complex tachycardia and they are stable, thank God, right? What are you gonna do? So you can try vagal maneuvers, right? So that means you have time. So you try vagal maneuvers, you you ask them to bear down or you massage the carotid. If that doesn't work, um, you give them adenosine. However, one of the most important things before I, I should have said, so now you have the EKG, what should you ask for? The previous EKG, right? So you have a baseline because if you have a baseline of a, of a patient with like a wide complex tachycardia and they have uh, Wolf-Parkinson's white syndrome, you will know not to give them adenosine, right? Because that can, if you give them adenosine, that can cause problems, right? Because they already have like a re-entry pathway. If you give them adenosine, it will block their AV node and then it will cause like a re-entry circuit, which will be a disaster. So you don't, so you want to make sure you see the previous EKG and um, if you can, go ahead and give adenosine. And then um, you want to avoid uh, beta blockers and verapamil because that can actually cause hypotension in patients who have a history of ventricular tachycardia. So again, that's why a patient's history is always very important. Um, so we've tried vagal maneuvers, adenosine, that didn't work. Uh, and now we're going to have to cardiovert them electric electrically. Now, this is 
Probably. I mean, if you're going to do synchronized cardioversion, I would be like that I, you would do it with a fellow and the fellows here are great, right? Like they would be available for you if you if you ask, if you need help, especially in patients like these who can be complicated. It, it's always a good idea to get some help because synchronizing on a T-wave, for example, because uh, sometimes it can be hard to tell, right? Like when they are in a wide complex tachycardia. Uh, because it doesn't always, so sometimes, like, especially with monomorphic tachycardia, it does, it's not always um, monomorphic and regular. Sometimes it can start irregular and then become regular. So if you shock on a T wave, what can happen? R and T phenomenon or... Yes, right. You can you can cause a V-fib, which is the one thing, what, what we're trying to avoid. So you want to make sure that if you, you know, do synchronized cardioversion, you are aware of that. But a safer method um, would be to, if, if you can see, right, like if you can clearly see that you've, you've synchronized on the QRS, that's good. But if not, unsynchronized cardioversion is also um your uh, your next best option and you you would use between 120 to 200 joules so you typically want to start low and if it doesn't work you go up uh, and then finally if that doesn't work you can give them armiodurone as well now if they're unstable right if they're unstable but still talking to you like so let's say they are hypotensive they are about to crash but they're not completely crashing you have time to do electrical you can just cardiovert them with like you give them a bit of adivan but if they're in a white complex tachycardia the pulses then you just have to do cpr and do all the things that you do with acls um but more importantly especially when you're you know when Sometimes what you get is, let's say, like it's in Francis, for example, you don't always, you don't have as many rapids as you have here at Hartford, uh, but nurses will text you and let you know what's going on with patients. Sometimes if you're unsure and if you're ever in doubt, you're going to hear this, I don't know how many times for the rest of the year, but if you're ever in doubt about something, if you're not sure about anything, what should you do? This is going to be your mantra for the next year. Or maybe six months after that, you'll know. Patient was Cynthia, the one you saw in the morning, and that patient out. Yeah, he's white. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just, call yeah. Your yeah. Could you please mute? Oh, sorry, I hear somebody talking. Yes, call your resident. Like that is probably the most important thing. Again, so again, the most important thing about white complex tachycardia. I told you about AV dissociation, extreme axis deviation. Um, Capture beats, fusion beats, like uh, ventricular concordance. And then the next best, most important thing I can tell you is always call for your help. If you're unsure about anything, if it's like, oh, this is too overwhelming for me to go through the EKG and get to this, your residents are there to help and they're great. They will be there for you. So that's probably the, one of the biggest takeaways I can give for you today. Um, and then uh, moving on to patients who have ICDs, right? So typically a patient with an ICD, um, if they go into uh, like an abnormal rhythm, the ICD is supposed to shock them, right? If it doesn't, that means that they, the ICD is not working. There's something wrong with ICD, so it needs to be interrogated. If you can't, if uh, if they're so unstable and the, you know that the text or the, the fellow, whoever interrogates the ICDs is not available, then you just proceed like we just spoke about. You just manage them as if they didn't have um, an ICD. 
And then for patients who have pacemakers, uh, especially if they have like a pacemaker induced tachycardia. Um, so you can um, typically, I mean, the we don't have the magnets with, like on, on ourselves, but I think they were um, either the techs or the fellows, the cardiology fellows again. So always reach out to people who know the cardiology fellows here are great. So they would typically uh, use a magnet to kind of um, make stop it from working. And that will actually tell you if the pace, the, there is like an underlying, like the, the patient's AFib is what's acting up as opposed to like the pacemaker actually causing the tachycardia. So wave using like the, the magnet will help to differentiate between the two. But again, this is the time where you call for help and get other people to help you. Um, and then in the long term, if you have patients that have either recurrent white complex tachycardia or after they have kind of, we have gotten through, gotten, gotten them through the, the woods of like that um, acute episode of white complex tachycardia. Now we always have to figure out why it happened. Um, and, you know, we do an echo, uh, do a left heart cath to see if it, it was induced by ischemia uh, for patients with, you know, um, cardiomyopathies, we want to do an MRI or a biopsy to see if there's any kind of infiltration or something that's actually inducing the, uh, the white complex tachycardia. And then um, we typically, for those that do not have an ICD yet, if they're at high risk of getting ventricular tachycardia, so that subgroup of patients that you, you think about are at risk of having ventricular tachycardia patients with uh, low EF, say so if they have an EF of 30 to 35%, if they have um, history of long QT syndrome, or if they have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, those are the patients you want to uh, put an ICD in. And then if they have had um, an ICD, I mean, if they've had like an episode of like VFib or VTAC, you want to put in an ICD for secondary prevention. And then you can also use medications in your first line as like amiodarone, um, you can also use procanamide if amiodarone is not working. Um, and then more importantly for the patients who have uh, super uh, ventricular tachycardias that can induce this white complex tachycardias, you want to manage those um, to kind of prevent uh, those episodes of white complex tachycardia from happening. And that is all I have for you today. Does anybody have any questions for me? Did I explain so well that you don't have any questions? Thank you, Dr. Cox. <laughs> All right, well, um, thank you. Thank you. Um, that was an awesome presentation, Brenda. A lot of good Thanks, information. Thanks, um, I'm curious, am, am I able to share my screen for anyone who's out there that can make me share my screen? Oh, maybe I should unshare and share. Okay, it's not going to let me. I was going to go through a, a case that we had here oh. of a, a wide complex tachycardia and show you how you can use the calipers and everything in Epic and kind of go through that Brugada criteria. Um, oh, now that I'm a co-host, let me see if this can, can work now. One sec.
nope, it must be a firewall thing. So anyway, um, if anyone's interested, um, you know, going through like uh, any EKG cases on this, you know, don't hesitate to come up to, to any of us and we'll, we'll show you what that Brugada criteria means. Thank you, Brian. Uh, if no one has any questions, if if you do see me around, I'm really happy to go through EKGs with anybody if anyone is interested. <laughs>